Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we do our best to cut through the noise and help you to make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. Time Magazine is out with their annual Person of the Year Award. And this year, it went to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, the former comedian and actor who went from playing the role of the president on television to actually becoming the president, who has managed to capture the attention of the world with his bravery and charisma in the face of Russia's invasion of his country. We were pretty skeptical about him, but he's proved us wrong, as well as a lot of others. We'll also be talking about Elon Musk's latest Twitter amnesty decisions, including the disgraced GOP advisor and Trump pardon recipient, Roger Stone. It seems like he's bound and determined to party like it's 2016 again. And in happier news, it was a bad week for gangsters of all kinds, including Andre Derkach, the Treasury Department-sanctioned friend of Rudy Giuliani and active Russian agent per the U.S. Department of Justice. You may remember Derkach from his attempts to influence the 2020 election, including his promotion of a supposed second laptop. Derkach caught another case recently, this time for money laundering, which in this case means purchasing property in Beverly Hills, California. We'll discuss why all of these people want to be here rather than at home in Mother Russia. It's going to be a great show, folks. Thanks for tuning in. So, Jay, uh, time is out with their person of the year, and while the recipient isn't really a surprise, the fact that he did the job that he did certainly was. Volodymyr Zelensky was named person of the year this past week. The move is not so much of a shock today, but it could certainly not have been predicted less than a year ago, before Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine began in February. Prior to this, U.S. intelligence had repeatedly warned Zelensky that Russia's latest buildup on the border of Ukraine wasn't an empty threat. They told him that Putin was really making plans to invade his country. Zelensky brushed this off for a while, downplayed the threat of invasion, and then it came. And rather than flee, as a lot of Western governments seemed to encourage him to do, Zelensky stayed with his countrymen. And not only did Ukraine halt the Russian advances, they've actually turned the tide in the war. And we were both pretty skeptical of this guy for a while. Do you, do you think he deserves this? I think he does. And yeah, credit where it's due, because... When U.S. intelligence really came out and said that this this looks like it's going to happen, Russia's probably going to invade, or at least they're making real plans and you should act accordingly, you got the sense that either Zelensky was listening to the wrong people or he just wanted to believe so much or he thought that if he really did raise the alarm that that would somehow halts the possibility of negotiations with Russia. Maybe he was downplaying it because he thought that that was the only way to get Putin to the negotiating table. I'm not entirely sure what his thoughts were, but it was a little maddening to see it. And I, I think you and I were both following it day to day. And, yeah, definitely. And there were more and more troops that were coming up to the border. And you started seeing helicopters, you started seeing medic tents, you started seeing food and supplies that were, were being sent and were being tracked that were being sent to the, the Russia-Ukraine border. So there was more and more reason to think, well, th they wouldn't be doing this, so we wouldn't be going to these lengths if they really were just going to pack up and leave tomorrow. And yet Zelensky kept downplaying it. And I don't know that he had some sort of grand 40 chess sort of plan around it. But I think, I think he was hopeful that it wouldn't go to war. And when it did happen, when the, the Russians did invade and troops came across the border, I think most people, including U.S. intelligence, who had been tracking this and watching this and were as up to date on the information as everyone, were telling him then you should, you should go, you should leave Kiev. Could fall in a matter of days and i think that was a logical conclusion to draw yeah very much there's every reason to think that was going to happen i think we for the last 10 years or so the there's been a lot of news about how russia's military had 
advanced and modernized and they were really not caught up with NATO, but they were making some taking some steps that were concerning and looking like a real like they had gotten serious. Yeah, like they had gotten serious and it wasn't even this is going to be a serious problem for Ukraine. It was this is going to be a problem for the Baltic states. This is going to be a problem for Poland, which has taken considerable steps to shore up their defenses because the Poles do not like the Russians and they understand the threat as much as anyone. They've been sounding the alarm. They've been pressing the Germans who have refused to meet their 2% NATO requirement for years and years. And the, and the Poles were, were sitting there saying, hey, this is bad. And not only do the Russians have nukes, but they're actually getting better. So when that invasion of Ukraine happened, most most people, most knowledgeable experts were saying, oh, God. Yeah, the Ukrainians are screwed. Yeah. I mean, Poland was so aware of this threat that they were proposing to build a Fort Trump on their territory. They wanted U.S. troops in it so bad that they're like, we'll name it after Donald. We don't care. We want the security of this. And and who who can blame them? No, not at all. I mean, after watching this, it really puts the lie to the concept of Russophobia. You're kind of like, well, of course they're scared. Look what happens when you live next door to these guys. <laughs> they might invade you. However, it seems that the Ukrainians definitely had this as scouted as it's really possible to have. The initial Russian advance at the airport didn't work. They were able to repel that. And Zelensky shot that video when the rumors hit. Remember that? he The rumors hit that Zelensky had left. So he got his cabinet together, and they're all out in the street looking like Ukrainian Wu-Tang Clan all like hard up there. <laughs> uh huh. The president yeah. is here. This guy he is, is here. You know, it's like we ain't going anywhere. And I think a lot of people, not just in Ukraine, but in the West, kind of got inspired. It's like, here's these people that nobody gave a chance in this fight. And as the war went on, people got really intrigued. Like, who are these people? Why are they doing so well against, you know, what was supposed to be a vastly superior force in terms of numbers? They, they thought this was going to be over in a matter of days. And as it went on, it just wasn't. How much of that do you think was due to Zelensky refusing to flee, refusing to back down? A lot. I honestly think that if he had left when everyone was telling him to leave, that Ukraine falls. And maybe not the entire country, maybe most of the East and a good chunk of the country at least is gone. I know there's there was some talk before the war about potential sort of Ukrainian rump state that Russia would leave alone in the West. And who knows how all that would have played out. But I think... Russia's main objectives could have very easily been obtained and obtained quickly. If there was no president, if there was no cabinet, we saw what happened in Afghanistan. Yeah. When the president left, everyone else left. Yeah, everybody who could get got. Yeah, then they took all the money <laughs> that yep. they could with them and they got on the helicopters and they fled. So we did see Russia really overextend itself and they advanced on multiple fronts, which they were not ready for and supplied for and really did not prepare for the fight. This is turned, turned into uh, because they thought it was just going to be a matter of days and, and they weren't the only ones. No. And Kiev was, was quickly surrounded. There was quite a bit of talk and some of it kind of got walked back, but for a while there, it looked like the capital was surrounded. Uh, there were plenty of rumors about attempted assassination attempts of Zelensky. There were people that were fleeing. There were some there were some talk that that people couldn't get out of the capital even if they wanted to to leave because it was surrounded. And I know I saw it from journalists on Twitter, real people who were there and covering it and this was not a a fringe thing or just something that that Russia concocted no back at a troll farm it was it was bad i guess it's easy to imagine why he would have fled and why after he fled the troops on the front line would have said what am i what am i fighting for what what's what's the point and right. I, I think that sort of thing is not hard to picture and there's plenty of historical precedents for yeah if the government <laughs> If you're not, if there's no government for you to defend, if there's no 
leader or commander general who's still behind you and organizing everything and working on your defense, working on your supplies and food and everything else, then why would you keep fighting? Even if even if you love your country and even if you don't want Russia there, at a certain point, you you pack up what you can, you grab your family and you get out and, right. and very easily and quickly could have turned into that. But Zelensky stayed. And, and like you said, he made sure that he kept putting out those videos and those pictures so that people knew mm-hmm. he was there. It's really me. <laughs> it's <here>. really. <laughs> yeah. It, I'm this not is, going this anywhere. Is, Here's me in central Kiev. I'm downtown. I'm walking around. I'm talking to people. Sorry. Didn't go anywhere. Yeah. So how much of the, the skepticism about how he was going to handle this comes not only from the fact that he was an actor, kind of an actor playing a role. A lot of people thought when he got this job, but, he had some pretty dodgy advisors around him. Some of the old party of regions crowd may have contributed to the perception that this guy's not serious. Right. There was, there were a lot of questions and you, you get a, well, we've seen what happens when you elect a comedian or an actor. Yeah. Um, and I, an actor who thinks he's a comedian sometimes, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, when, you, when you're dealing with that sort of personality, it's hard to know what's real and what isn't. What's, what's he playing at and what is he really capable of? And I think even the Time magazine piece that, that accompanied this award said that the war has changed him that he used to be more jovial and joking and always had a smile on his face and all these things. And the war has hardened him and changed him. Well, that's not hard to believe at all. Yeah. But it's, but it's not knowable. Like I don't even think he necessarily knew that he could become this, but he just decided he was going to do it. And, and yeah, the, the, the people who voted for him, it kind of was a protest vote. It was it was down in the election. It was down to Zelensky and Petro Poroshenko, who was kind of dogged by his own corruption scandals and was not very popular by the end of his term. But he was also he was not in any way pro Kremlin. He was he was very much pro Ukraine. But there were there were other related scandals about his his dealings with oligarchs or corrupt deals that he'd handed out as favors. Some of it real, maybe some of it overblown, but people were tired of the same old, same old, even though it had only been five years since Viktor Yanukovych and the pro-Kremlin Party of Regions were really in charge and getting away with every sort of corrupt deal they could and also refusing to move closer to the EU and instead moving closer to Russia. But people are people wanted a change, and they I, I think they just kind of okay. We're going to give this comedian a try. What's the worst that can happen? Which seemed like a really bad idea to me at the time. And and like you said, I I remember looking at the people that were around him, and several of them were high ranking party regions guys, and and there were real questions about Zelensky and. Where is his money coming from? And and what are these people telling him? And is he just going to be soft with Russia? Is he going to give in to their demands? And when you saw his advisors and you saw, okay, this is a comedian who doesn't really get politics. Yeah, there was there was real reason to worry about what the future of Ukraine was going to look like. And then when he he downplayed those warnings um, in late 2021 and earlier this year that Russia is going to invade. I thought not that much of it is intentional. It's just, this is, looks like a guy who's in over his head. Yeah. Like he didn't quite grasp. This is a real threat. They're serious. They wouldn't have brought this level of equipment to the front if they weren't planning to do something with it. Yes. We understand they did war games the year before. Yes. We understand they're doing all this stuff frequently and that you don't want to upset people, but this is different. This looks serious. You really might want to think about sounding the alarm at some point. And it worked out. Yeah, and he talked about, well, we know Ukraine best, and you shouldn't be lecturing us because we're still at war. Because, to be fair, the fighting in the Donbass region of Ukraine with Russian troops and then Russian quote-unquote separatists versus (laughs) the, yeah, the Ukrainian army, it, it started in 2014 and it hadn't stopped up till 2022. And so that that was still ongoing and, and Zelensky had some 
some knowledge, obviously, of, of that and some experience of what the fighting was going to look like. But it's just an interesting contrast because he was he was really wrong <laughs> about what about the buildup, about the full scale invasion going forward. But then the U.S. was wrong about what Russia was capable of. So it worked out. He figured it out. He he learned on the job and he's kept his country in the fight. And now to the point that the aid from the West and the U.S. has increased and they were able to use that and turn the tide. And he he's been criticized as well. He's he's still playing a part and he's still prioritizing his celebrity and his status. And well, I get that. But at the same time, people want something to focus on in a situation like this. They want to have some visual of what's going on here. And that may be the part he's playing the, you know, embattled president of the small, you know, survivor nation that's gone up against the Russians and taken everything the Russians could throw at them short of nukes. And, is still somehow standing here saying, come on. And that has inspired. Isn't that the guy you want to donate to? Yeah. Isn't that the guy you want to, yeah, send the weapons? I mean, did you ever see the movie Rocky? It's very similar here. We've got this guy that nobody really gave a chance to in the job, and he's gone toe-to-toe with, you know, the baddest bunch on the block and still around. Here he is. Yeah. So I think we we have to admit we were wrong about him, Mm -hmm. and what he's done is... It's impressive, and it's impressive because it none of this was guaranteed. There's every chance not only that Ukraine falls if he if he flees in the first few days. There's every chance that if he stays, he gets assassinated because God knows they tried, mm-hmm. or that maybe Russia had been all that they claimed to be, and then Ukraine loses anyway. So none of this was guaranteed. I can't really picture the odds at this point. If Russia had not behaved so recklessly in the beginning, then again, maybe the war looks different at this point. But there were so many unknowns. Yeah. But you have to say that Zelensky's force of will has carried the day for Ukraine. He rolled some really big dice and came up, you know, with a seven. He definitely had his his moments, I'm sure, of what did I get myself into? What kind of crazy shit is this? But give it to the guy. Slava Ukraini. Glory to the heroes. <laughs> well, uh, speaking, actually, no, we're not. We're not speaking of heroes anymore. We're speaking of kind of the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> A move we saw, sort of saw coming, but we were really hoping for everyone's sake this wouldn't happen. Elon Musk's general amnesty of right-wing accounts has found its way to Roger Stone's doorstep like an FBI raid. Donald Trump's <laughs> longtime advisor is back on the platform after being banned in late 2017 after a series of threats targeting journalists saw his account permanently suspended. This was around the time Stone's longtime business partner and former Trump campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, was arrested in relation to Robert Mueller's then ongoing probe. Stone seems to be reveling in his recent reinstatement, but also worried that old tweets of his may get the account banned again. He's promised to be a good boy this time and is even quoting scripture to prove it. Probably goes without saying that you shouldn't trust Roger Stone, but how concerned do you think we should be about this decision to bring him back? I think we should be concerned overall because of it. when you start looking at the list of all the accounts that Elon is bringing back, it's some really terrible people. But also, Roger himself is a threat and will use his platform to elevate some of the worst people online and target enemies of MAGA or whatever he's selling that week and whatever he's whatever <laughs> whatever gravy train that that guy's uh rolling in that week. So, yeah, it's bad for a lot of reasons, but I think when we're looking at these guys, it's weird to see, but Roger is taking the same path that Andrew Anglin, the neo-Nazi head of the Daily Stormer is taking on Twitter, where Roger and Anglin both have talked about how they've changed and Jesus has shown them the way and they're not going to do anything against Twitter's new terms of service. And everyone is, is very 
quick to thank Elon Musk personally because they all, and they're probably right, think that he's reading these tweets and just glowing. You know, he he loves the the adoration, mm-hmm. and there's plenty of reason to think that he does, and he reads those and he thanks them for the kind words. But yeah, Roger is is a changed man. He's he's been talking for a while on other platforms about finding Christ and. It's part of their whole their whole movement now is uh, claims to be much more overtly religious, whereas before they just said they were Christian, but then they just went about their day and, and, and mm-hmm. didn't didn't do anything. But now you see Milo out there reading his Bible in the plane. That picture with Kanye and Nick Fuentes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Nick Fuentes claims to be a you know devout Catholic. All of these people have that vibe going right now, and. They're saying things like, well, Jesus forgave Hitler, so we should too. Yeah, that is a thing. That is a thing that they're saying. So I think they've wisened up. It's a game and and they know it's a game. But I think they've been off Twitter long enough that they realize how much they missed it Mm -hmm. and how much they want to keep it. Uh huh. And Roger Stone is still Roger Stone and Andrew England is still Andrew England. And now now Laura Loomer is back. We got we got Roger Stone (laughs) on one day and then the next day we got Laura Loomer. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my <laughs> Elon Musk gave she's, to me. She's already getting thousands of of likes, and she's just jumping right into the uh, the anti-Muslim and and Islamophobic rhetoric. She's well, she's never left that. So I haven't I haven't seen any Jesus posts by her. I know she is Jewish, but if Milo can be ex-gay, then I I don't know what is is Loomer religious now or have you tracked well no i haven't happened to see that the one thing that struck me as being really interesting is there was an article that got published on tim pool's site on tim cast where um one of his contributors (sighs) went and interviewed kanye west a guy by the name of cashman went and interviewed kanye west out in la and kanye and nick spent a lot of time talking to this guy nick fuentes and they were talking about how Kanye very specifically wants to rewrite the Constitution along Christian principles. He thinks that this is a Christian nation. We need to codify that into law. You know, the Jews can live here. That's fine. But they have to act like good Christians in public. They have to go along with Christian values. This is, again, what was coming out of Kanye's mouth in this interview. With his mask. With his mask, I'm sure. uh (laughs) But this might be the key to the whole thing for them. They haven't stopped being fascists. They've just sort of changed their reason to be fascist. They've now decided that we're fascists for Christ rather than being just fascists for whatever they were fascists for before. <laughs> that that well, I I don't think you're wrong. I also there's that part of me that's like no, no the Nazis persecuted the church and we're not particularly religious. But no no we're past all that. This is all. This is all new age. We're in some new territory at this point. New age fascism, and I mean, the, they are embracing the idea of Christian nationalism, and we saw Mike Flynn doing that too, and he's been on that that train with his QAnon and QAnon Light and all of the the various dog whistles that he's put out there, but. Yeah, you have guys like Bannon who have been religious and made it part of their their game for a long time. And I think somebody like Bannon, he's got some weird beliefs, but he actually does seem to believe them. Right. And and a lot of this new stuff just appears to be rather astroturfed and well, the new talking points are out. So here's what we are going to go and say now, but they really are emphasizing this and it is, it is interesting. I don't know where it leads. Uh, It does make me wonder about when you look at stuff like the, the evangelicals and, how increasingly they don't seem to have a whole lot to do with Christianity. No, they, they, no, they don't. So we're increasingly not a Christian nation and maybe whatever this is going to be, isn't going to be particularly Christian either, but it's like whenever they do something like this, whenever they get on some sort of hype train for I guess for Jesus now, it's they're, they're going to weaponize it. Mm-hmm. They're going to turn it into some kind of movement. I say all this, and I want to make it clear that 
I grew up Presbyterian and went to church every Sunday, and I'm not now, but most people that I know and grew up with were very religious, and I have the utmost respect for church-going folk, as it were, and I'm not trying to attack that or belittle no. that, but what I'm what I'm saying is whatever this is, whatever they're doing with this and weaponizing here and turning this into, it's it's something else. Well, and this is where I think I'm getting it from because, you know, I was raised Catholic in a very conservative town that when I was growing up was split about 50-50 Catholic and Mormon. So, again, I grew up around a lot of these kind of people and we had an outfit a little bit north of town in Spokane um, group that was at a place called Mount St. Michael's. And they were what one would call Sedvanticists, which are Catholics who don't acknowledge Vatican II. Vatican II was where the Catholic Church modernized. They had a convention. All the bishops from all over the place got together and decided on some new rules. A lot of churches, a lot of folks decided they didn't buy this at the time. So they sort of schismed. And it was not a huge schism. There aren't a whole lot of these people, but there's a few of them in some awfully prominent positions. You know, like Mel Gibson is probably the number one of these people that you've heard of. And a lot of the stuff Steve Bannon has said, I think one of the first questions I would ask him if I was ever interviewing him is, are you a Sedvanticist? Do you believe that Vatican II was an utter mistake, that we should go back to the Mass in Latin? And the more you start to hear about what these people are saying... That's where I start to find myself thinking, is that where you guys are coming from? Is that what this is? Is that some part of where your philosophy is? Because it does seem like an older version of of Catholicism in some really bad ways, what these people are yeah. out doing. Well, we've had we've had anti popes before, right? Mm -hmm. So we have. Who is who is Steve Bannon gonna gonna put up and <laughs> well they they have been and they are I see this with them with with Pasobic with people in his orbit and Bannon and they are very critical of the current pope no, they don't like they Francis at all he's he's too woke and he's mm -hmm. too liberal and whenever he says anything that's anti right wing Christian U S Christian nationalist in in its viewpoint it's oh well he would say that and oh well this this is what happens when the church goes woke and all the things that and this stuff to some extent when they're saying it is borderline heresy i mean from yeah. the strict definition yeah. of the word you are questioning the guy who is the vicar of christ on earth yeah due to you know the way catholic dogma works and they're just trolling him. Uh-huh. They're just trolling him like he's just some guy. And it, it's what they do. It's their default Questioning setting. Questioning the but... church's decisions are one thing. Everybody does that to some extent. But, like, mocking the Pope in public, that's walking a line. Should, sh right. Shouldn't there be a different bar? Shouldn't that, mm -hmm. that require... Yeah. Like, you can't just treat them like your political opponent or the guy you don't like on Twitter. Like, shouldn't it? shouldn't there be a certain level of respect? Especially when you're as Christian as you say you are, which I, I do think you're onto something there, and I do think that, that that's is, why I wonder. That's really why I wonder, right? Because they're they're like I said, Steve Bannon. He there's just been enough coverage and stories and history with with him. And like I said, it just kind of reminds me the stuff that they're. I mean, when they say tradcath, what exactly do they mean by that? What does tradcath mean to you uh, people? What yeah. what kind of tradition are we talking about here? How far That's back fair. are we going? The definition, and, you know, I'm going to go ahead and quote Wikipedia here, which I know is a bad idea, but <gasps> traditionalists... Have you seen... Have I seen... Have you seen what they've been t saying about Wikipedia on Twitter uh -huh, recently? Yes, I heard Elon Musk is going to buy that next, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the liberal bias of facts strikes yeah, no, again. I'm sorry. <laughs> go, okay. Go ahead. So... Just so we're all working from the same definition here, traditionalist Catholicism, Tradcath, is the set of beliefs, practices, customs, traditions, liturgical forms, devotions, and presentations of Catholic teaching that existed in the Catholic Church before the liberal reforms of the Second Vatican Council, which was from 1962 to 1965, 
in particular the attachment to the Tridentine Mass, also known as the traditional Latin Mass. So when you hear these guys talk about being Tradcaths, that's essentially what they mean. So the pre-Vatican II Catholic. And that's another whole rabbit hole you could go down in terms of like what that meant. But when they're saying that, that's what they're meaning. They can't just support anything in its natural current form. There's all they, they've always got to have a spin. They've always got to reject modernity, embrace tradition. <laughs> we know we know a better way. It's one of those like you see the accounts that are talking about the good, wholesome family of old. We just want to get back to the way things used to be. And it's only pictures of white people with blonde hair and blue eyes and you see you see one picture and you're like oh okay and then you see 12 and you're like oh my god where am i and they used to kick the shit out of jewish kids by saying you killed our lord yeah that was awfully common back in the day so no i'm, I'm not on board for that no. but they they have a certain way of looking at the world and it sort of bleeds over into every single aspect of their lives and existence but i, I went real quick while you were just Oh my God, you wouldn't stop talking. So I had to. I know, killing it. I, I yeah, I, yeah, come on. It's my turn. When am I going to shut up? <laughs> it's my. Did you see Kanye on in, on Temple show? <laughs> yes. Did you see how annoyed he yeah. got whenever anyone interrupted him? That's me every time you talk. I just I I want to make sure all the listeners understand that. <laughs> oh God, I'm sorry. <sighs> when will he ever shut up? <sighs> <laughs> Okay. It's okay. So I was, I was curious because I, I was, I had something in my brain about Laura Loomer. I think I'd pushed it down because she's been so fringe and kind of a joke for a while that I kind of stopped thinking about her. And now I have to apparently have to think about her again. Cause I mean, tantamount to a war crime, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> she's so bad. She's just, and she's not even like the most vile or no, but she might be the most annoying. She's annoying, yes. She has figured out how to weaponize being really annoying. That's Laura Loomer's superpower. <laughs> it absolutely is. So it's a, it's a Daily Beast article by uh, Will Summer, but he's talking about Loomer, and, and there's this whole story that, God, I, I I just can't. I can't get into all of it right now because it's its own, it's its own show. <laughs> Okay, Loomer was campaigning when she was she had a campaign and tried to win a house seat and in Florida she was campaigning with a guy named Stu Peters and he's a radio host and apparently he there was a quote where he said Laura Loomer is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ and he said that on Telegram and then it goes on to say that Loomer told the Daily Beast that she's a quote proud Jewish woman saying she's not sure why Peters said that uh, Loomer had converted to Christianity. Still, she described herself as a supporter of, quote, Christian nationalism. I'm in support of the Christian nationalist movement, Loomer said. Huh. She is a supporter of Christian nationalism, but not a Christian, which feels like a weird line and thing that you need to say, but... Uh, Laura Loomer says a lot of weird things, and honestly, that's not even like the top 100. So we'll, we're just going to leave it at that. Again, yeah. they draw some weird lines. Yeah, they draw they some weird definitely lines. do. Andrew Anglin, actually, in a recent Daily Stormer article, was quoted as saying, Loomer is one of the better commentators now, frankly. I already forgave her for getting my Discord shut down. That was a blessing in disguise anyway. And I mean, it's not like Andrew Anglin is known for being soft on Jewish people or anything. So maybe they have all decided to make Laura Loomer an honorary Christian or something. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, they'll they'll put up with a lot if it uh, advances the agenda, I suppose. And this is where their heads are all at these days. This seems to be the line that they seem to be pushing if like this weird Christian nationalist hybrid of any number of things. And it's dangerous. My opinion, I think a lot of other people's we've got not just kind of the ha ha jokey online stuff that they're doing, but you've also got people like the oath keepers. You've got people like the proud boys that are reasonably serious about believing this stuff and taking it into the real world. They had these people helping them with Stop the Steal in 2020 with Roger Stone kind of being the mastermind of all of this. 
So, you know, one could look at this and think, wow, they're setting up for, for Trump's 2024 campaign. And, you know, Roger Stone himself, if he manages to stay out of prison in the next couple of years, which is not necessarily a sure thing. Well, and it could be, it could be campaign related or any number of things with Roger. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> how's his, how's his cocaine habit these days? Alleged. Alleged, alleged. cocaine habit. Alleged cocaine habit well, these his days. His tax problems boy. aren't alleged. <laughs> so they may get him. But he was, oh, uh, you remember how often he was broke, though? Mm-hmm. Every time he was fundraising, it was, ah, uh, I can't, I can't feed my cats. <laughs> my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, his security guard just went up for seditious conspiracy. The guy who was his personal bodyguard at the. Well, well, but he did nothing wrong, of he course. Did nothing Have they made wrong. the t shirt yet? No. I saw, I saw Kelly a picture. Kelly Meggs did nothing wrong. <laughs> one of one of Loomer's first tweets was a picture of, or God, I don't even know if it was Loomer's or, or Roger Stone's, but it's a picture, maybe both of them. It's a picture of them together with a Roger Stone did nothing wrong and a Lar Loomer did nothing wrong shirt. And they're, of course, old friends and going to be up to the same old hijinks, mm-hmm. getting getting the band back together. And They absolutely are. And Elon, Elon Musk just is letting them all back and forgiving past sins and now they're they're going to make sure that they're going to keep their twitter accounts any way they can and if it means quoting scripture uh if it means buying a bible and yeah (laughs) and uh having somebody else point out what verses they should be quoting that sort of thing then then i guess they'll they'll go and do that so that they can drag people on to other platforms where they can continue to radicalize them and really send them down the rabbit hole. It's not good, but it's what's happening and it's not going to change as long as the current ownership is there. So we are adjusting to this reality. We are. So we do have some good news this week. It's not all bad. The department of justice, they were, they were busy. They took down Andre Derkach, who is a Ukrainian national and a friend of Rudy Giuliani, and he was trying to help Rudy dig up dirt on Joe and Hunter Biden prior to the 2020 presidential election. Derkach made multiple media appearances with Rudy back then, including a extremely flimsy three-part One America News special that tried really, really hard to make something bad stick to Joe Biden. But in the end, nothing did, and OAN's videos got delisted from their own YouTube channel. Why was that? Because Andre Derkach was indicted for attempting to influence the 2020 presidential election on behalf of the Russian government, with Derkach working as, again, according to the DOJ, an active Russian agent at the time. This week, he got indicted again. And it was for personally purchasing and using property in Beverly Hills, California, in violation of sanctions imposed against him by the Treasury Department. So I got to ask, these guys all hate America. Why are they buying up all the real estate? Yeah, and in Beverly Hills too. Yeah. He, he's not, he's not messing around. He's not buying a farm out in Here's Montana a story or about something. A man named Vlad. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he's going where the action is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's a, a nice little place. I did a quick Google search, and it said something about the the place being up for rent for. 20k a month Ooh. which yeah well it's a great not, neighborhood uh, <laughs> oh yeah but uh what, what is that in rubles i don't, I don't know <laughs> i don't think do we do we still accept that maybe i don't think your calculator counts that high <laughs> maybe i can find a crypto exchange that hasn't <laughs> collapsed yet that, that'll accept crypto crypto rubles i don't <laughs> yeah it is it is interesting these guys really really talk about how much they hate america but you get like putin's ex-wife bought a chateau in france and you've got lavrov's daughter going to school in the u.s and i think one of the things that the russians were really mad about when sanctions got rolled out after the the full-scale invasion started this year is their visas getting terminated not allowed to travel throughout europe and some of that is related to espionage it's it's a lot harder to get your agents 
in major European cities and doing what they do if you can't get them visas, if it's a if it's a hassle and and those are getting revoked and all this, you're not giving people diplomatic cover and embassies and all the things that that normally occur just suddenly go away. So that that was part of the the whining and the the pearl clutching that occurred. But part of it too is that these guys like to vacation in the West. And they'll write their op-eds and they'll go on Russian state-owned TV and talk about the decadent West, just like they did in the Soviet times. But there aren't that many nice places to vacation in Russia. And now part of the benefit of Crimea, of Russia illegally annexing Crimea was to get Yalta and these these other places with, that are that are pretty nice vacation spots. But now the bridge from the Kerch Kerch Strait Bridge Kerch yeah was was blown up, uh, and it is passable. Putin apparently got in a car and drove across it himself to to prove how safe it is. I'm sure the Mercedes Benz company really liked that advertising. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nothing I mean that just screams safety security no no how many <laughs> how many boats and helicopters and uh oh, man. did they have patrolling you No know, the, they the had the whole thing just completely whole, like blocked like off They shut down the war that one day so Putin could drive across the bridge but but they got their photo op and instill that confidence back in the Russian people but yeah Crimea is not looking as uh warm and cuddly and and safe as it once did for these people. So yeah, they they really like their western vacations. They they like to shop in Prague, they like to vacation in France, they like to launder their money in the UK. Um <laughs> these are these are things that they do. Uh, so yeah, and everybody loves going to California. Sure, California. Everybody loves California. It's a nice place. Yeah, it it sure is. Uh, and, and and there's New York where you meet lots of interesting people who uh, also happen to want to f- dig up dirt on Joe Biden and and his son Hunter. <laughs> uh, they just they just so happen to run into each other. Although honestly, it makes total sense that Dirk Hatch has got this going on because how does Rudy meet guys like this? Well, after he was mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani was traveling around the country to Ukraine and Russia for a while and Kazakhstan and all these uh, former Soviet republics. And he's he was lobbying. He was finding clients. He was setting up shop in these places and networking. And quite a few of these people were high ranking or or rather wealthy individuals oligarchs in in these republics who couldn't quite explain where their money came from <laughs> and here comes uh <laughs> the former mayor of new york who said well america's mayor yeah america's mayor knew knew some guys and yeah there there's quite a few uh, interesting connections it's new york he's from new york you look at new york real estate and the people who were involved and when when the Italian mob started losing influence, well, they were just replaced by the Russian mob. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if it's I remember tracking all this 2017, 2018, and you start to start to put the pieces together on who knows who. And some of these guys that Rudy was was working with in Ukraine tried to build a Trump hotel at one point. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. So. Yeah, there's a there's a guy named uh, Pavel Fuchs who came up a few times in the in the Trump Russia investigations, and he had dealings with Rudy, and he's one of the more respectable types. Then you start looking at, at Russian organized crime figures who like Sam Kislin, who has this long history with with Rudy. So of course, Andre Derkach has money that he probably can't explain because that's how this usually goes. And he's looking to offload it somewhere. And well, uh, Beverly Hills looks like a nice place. And oh, he didn't just want to launder money. He's not just charged with money laundering. In the actual press release, they say he wanted to use the property. Yeah. So despite the fact that he tried to undermine our our election and so doubt and chaos and all this, he's like, yeah, America, that's a nice place to go. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he definitely had you know a certain visibility in the right wing media sphere for a while too. He was uh, pushing a second Hunter Biden laptop that he supposedly had access to. Did he ever find? I that? don't think he did. Ah, oh, maybe it's in the house in Beverly Hills. Who knows? <laughs> maybe it got. <laughs> maybe shipped. it's been added to the original hard drive and we just don't know yet. Right. Uh, right. So many, so many, which hard drive and where is it? Is it? Mm. What's his name was saying he had a copy of it too. Poso, I think. Yeah. Yeah, of course they, they all do. Maybe, maybe have they started shopping it on eBay? I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe all of us can get one. Get a bootleg, bootleg <laughs> copy of Hunter Biden's laptop. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, that's, that. That thing has been tossed around so many times. I know the the computer uh, repairman has been making the rounds on right wing media lately too. Yeah, he was on Roger Stone's uh, show the other day. Oh yeah, that's Stone right. Zone. That's right. Stone Zone. Stone Zone. Yeah. Brought to you by My Pillow. Or is, is... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Lindell. So yeah. much to answer for. Indeed. Indeed. But yeah, it's it is uh it is interesting timing cuz we have all this uh Twitter files business dropping and I I don't necessarily think any of that's related, but it's just here's here's this story that pops up of the the guy that was going around with Rudy and I remember watching that OAN uh quote unquote documentary in in 2020 <laughs> and it was so low budget and it was so the graphics were just terrible. Quote, unquote, have, unquote, 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 unquote. Yes, yeah, it was, yes. Uh, you have the supposed journalist Chanel Rion, who was a an illustrator who decided that being a MAGA media figure and calling herself a journalist would be a good career move. And I guess it was. She got in the White House uh, briefing a few times and made a made a show of things. And then she she's on this uh, quote unquote documentary with Rudy Giuliani and Andre Durkash, who is promising all this information about Hunter Biden and the corrupt deals and all of the the ways that those corrupt deals influenced what Joe Biden was doing in Ukraine. And then that influenced U.S. policy related to Ukraine. And of course, the, he shows up with a with a stack of files and documents that uh, it's evidence it's like trump when he would show up at at press conferences mm-hmm. and he's got these stacks of of white sheets of paper with nothing it's on them <laughs> uh, yeah yeah what did, what did he really have uh not much they went to office not max Never. right before and they bought some reams of paper and some manila <laughs> folders stuffed and full yeah yeah so Durkash had that going on with oan and another of his associates who was also indicted at the same time as as he was was also doing interviews on oan with our old friend jack posobic and again the the topic was hunter biden and supposedly they were always on the cusp of the the great reveal of the the biden family corruption but yeah this is very much um a piece of the narrative related to the Hunter Biden laptop story with the New York Post and why the U.S. government, why Twitter was concerned that when this supposed data ended up um, in the hands of Rudy Giuliani and then he handed it to the New York Post and people were really skeptical and they wanted to see the data. They wanted Rudy to hand it over to them so New York Times and Washington Post could verify it and he wouldn't do it. No, And so they couldn't they couldn't verify the story. You had Rudy, who was known to be digging up dirt on the Bidens, who was then found to have been do- digging this dirt up with a <laughs> an active Russian agent. And, and then he just so happens to come upon all of this data that Hunter Biden just left at a repair shop. It sounded ridiculous, and it hasn't turned out to be as ridiculous as it first seemed. But if you really think about it, all the all the pieces and it it looked like they were just repeating 2016 over again. And in a lot of ways they were. But the the right wants to tell the story of suppression and, and all the mistakes Twitter had made. And and Twitter has owned up to some of those mistakes and, and said they did go too far. But you can understand why. Right. And <laughs> when I was researching this one today, I ran across an article from September of this year 
that made me wonder where Durkacz is living these days, because I don't think it's Ukraine. It seems that he received at least 567000 from Russian law enforcement to discredit Ukraine in the international arena. This is according to Ukraine's National Anti-Corruption Bureau. And in June, Ukraine's security service also exposed a Russian agent network allegedly spearheaded by Durkacz. According to their authorities, he received funds from the GRU to create private security structures that Russia planned to use to capture Ukraine. And they allocated about 3 to $4 million every few months for that purpose. So I can't imagine he's huh. going back to Ukraine anytime soon because, wow, I don't know what they're doing about treason, but I can't imagine it's nice. No, no, I cannot imagine it would be a safe place for him to be right now. But it, yeah, it is, it is interesting that the active Russian agent who was working with Rudy got indicted and caught, and then he went back to being a Russian agent. Because that's who he is. Mm -hmm. And it's not like we didn't know, but it's uh, he certainly hasn't changed his spots one bit. No, has he, he has not. They, they rarely do. They rarely do at that level. Yeah, it's one game to the next, and it's one move after another and until you're no longer useful and apparently he's found another way to be useful so yeah i don't i don't think this indictment is related to anything else i just think it's uh it's nice to win one it's nice to get one of the bad guys and i mean it's just funny that of course he's putting money in the united states because he knows this is a, a better place to live than russia and they know that it's it's part of the game. Hey, it's his job as a Russian intelligence agent is to attack the U.S. and make us look worse and try to break down our institutions. Mm -hmm. And maybe let's take a minute to remind ourselves that this was Donald Trump's personal attorney uh, and, <laughs> and they were making documentaries together. Yes. So that's that's Trumpism. And that's why we're against it. Indeed. Indeed. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as BNW Pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned Did Nothing Wrong. <laughs>